Today on The Topping Show, Bud Light releases a ridiculous ad on Twitter and fails epically. NHL to cancel Pride jerseys next year. Hunter Biden gets a plea deal with no jail time. You have the U.S. Navy knowing that the submarine was sunk days before actually telling the public. Disney fires her chief diversity officer. Target pushing for next day delivery. SpaceX now valued at $150 billion. Mazda going to bring back the rotary engine. Ford is prepping for major layoffs. And Honda recalls over a million vehicles. All that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder released twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going out to the business part of the podcast, you have Target pushing for next day delivery. Now, this is coming off of the news that their stock is going further and further and further down the drain as they had that big controversy where they had controversial clothing and accessories, which were satanic. And I don't mean that metaphorically. It was an instance where the designer was a profound, proud, satanic person from the UK. They even had little pins that said, Satan prefers pronouns. So directly satanic themes, which the consumers decided was a little too far. And they also had swimsuits for men to um, be like women and, and pride clothing for children. There are many reasons why the boycott this year did not happen last year. So it's because that new merchandise is a big controversy and their stocks plummeted billions of dollars. And they're trying to try to make a little recover. And one of the things they're doing is trying to get the next day delivery. As of course, like many businesses, they're trying to bolster their e-commerce platform as more and more people order things online and just driving 15 or even 10 minutes down the road, people value their time and that depending on how much they're making, that might be worth it just to pay the delivery fee. Now. They've had the one-day delivery for certain people, of course, if you're closer to a store. So they're building out basically mini stores or satellite stores in more rural areas. So they're starting to target the more rural areas, which ironically and somewhat hilariously, I would guess on average, those areas might be the ones protesting them more to begin with. But nevertheless, they're trying to build out these facilities so that people can actually click the buy now. They'll get there within a day. And they've noted that their company's e-commerce sales have declined especially as as shoppers are buying fewer discretionary items. That's terrible news because discretionary items, which you shouldn't have to define or clarify, but this is 2023. Those are items you do not need. You have staples, which are things like, I guess, trying to think, protein powder, vegetables, fruits, beef, salmon, things that you need to live, food. I was about to say water, but don't pay for art at a store. That's silly, in my opinion. But those are the things that people keep buying. The things that they buy less frequently are these discretionary items. Think of all of the, pretty much everything else you buy at a multi-store where it's not just groceries. So competitors to them being Walmart right now where they have t-shirts, furniture, electronics, bikes, pretty much everything else. And it's really important for those companies to focus on sales of those items because they're a lot more profitable. Grocery items are the worst item ever, bar none in terms of a profit margin per unit sold. 
if you look at the industry of just grocery stores, it's sub 2% profit margin, which doesn't leave you a lot of room for error. And again, it's hard to grow the business, so you can only do it through massive volume, similar to the McDonald's model. That's why you see a lot of these stores really evolved, especially in the 70s and the 80s, where they didn't just sell groceries, they started to sell other items. So the fact that Target is having, they're seeing a decrease in the more profitable items, that's especially concerning. And they're also going for next day delivery. They're trying to become more and more of a competitor to Amazon, which of course Amazon is the 500 pound gorilla or even more. They're the Joe Rogan in the uh, arena, some might say. And they have so much money and so much capital. I don't see, it'll be interesting to see if they try to compete because everyone wants the next day delivery, I guess. I'm part of the 1% that don't pay for that Amazon Prime because again, it's not necessities. But it'd be interesting to see if they push to try to compete more directly with them as they're trying to evolve their business so they can stay afloat and in theory, grow a little bit. Other interesting business news, you have SpaceX now valuing it itself at $150 billion. Now Elon Musk, SpaceX is offering to sell insider shares and the price equates for the price for units and all the shares go to about 150 billion. Now it's actually an increase because in January 2023, the company was valued at 137 billion and they recently raised funding of about, actually after raising $170 million in additional funding at that higher evaluation. So as the company is winning more and more of these contracts and they're still the industry leader for space delivery, they were the bleeding edge. I'm not too surprised to see that they're valuing themselves more and more. Other interesting business news, you have Mazda. They're releasing the first rotary engine in 11 years. So it's been quite some time. It, the good old Wenkel rotary engine, it was a brilliant idea and one of those things where on paper, it absolutely makes sense. When you compare it to the, when it was out, the overwhelming majority of vehicles all had the standard traditional combustion, internal combustion engine where you have pistons shooting straight up. That's why if you have like a vehicle with an inline four, you have four pistons in a, in a row. They all punch up and down, up and down, and up and down. That design is brilliant and can last a million miles if you get a nice good old fashioned Toyota or a Honda but there are a lot of components in that engine design. So the Wenkel design, there's actually no pistons, it's a glorified triangle, and you just rotor, hence the name, rotary. So there's less things moving around, less components necessary to make it. Now, unfortunately, it kind of made a bad demise. The Mazda RX-7 was reg legendary, thanks to the Fast and Furious movies. RX-8 was the last production vehicle, mass production vehicle to have the rotary engine had a little reliability issues, and also these tend to burn a little oil. So again, the EPA doesn't like that and they're crunching down more and more and more. However, in this new application, it might just be viable. I say that because the new application won't be for the drivetrain. Now, this is specifically in regards to the Mazda MX-30, which is a compact electric SUV, and they would use the rotary engine in order to boost the batteries. So this little gas engine, similar to the Chevy Volt, it actually wouldn't be moving the wheels on the vehicle. It would just be charging the batteries. Because of that, there's less there's less inertia, less, less weight, less wear and tear on the engine. There's not really any revs. So there's less variables in that regard. And the production of the MX-30E Skyactiv R-EV, which I kind of want to say it's an epic fail for marketing because it's not catchy. It does sound fancy. I'll give them that. They have... They have actually started production of that vehicle last week over in Hiroshima. 
Now, it'll be interesting to see this is the new engine is called the Renaissance 13E-MSP engine. Or rather, that was the RX-8 engine. That was the one that had reliability issues. So starting new one is starting production over in Japan. It'll be interesting to see, will it get the green light for coming over to the United States for mass consumer sale? But it is cool to see such a legendary engine come back to the production when, I mean, every car company back in the day experimented with the technology because it is a really fascinating idea. But Mazda realistically was the only large scale commercial viable product with that engine and used to be one of the most unique things about Mazda. Heck, who wouldn't want a Mazda RX-8? That's what Wolverine drove back in the day. Who doesn't like uh, Chris Pine? Kidding. I know it's Hugh Jackman. Now, other interesting automotive news, you have Ford prepping for more and more layoffs. Now, these layoffs are going to be targeted for salaried workers in the United States. This coming after their announcement last year where they want to reduce structural costs up to $3 billion in its gas-powered division. Which... Right now it's called Ford Blue, or no, Ford. They split out the company in three. So they got the EV line, they have the commercial line, so the big trucks you see, and then they have their traditional in internal combustion engine vehicles. So they have the three divisions of the company. And ironically, they want to cut headcount on the most, currently the most profitable part of the business, which is a bold move. Again, EVs for most automotive companies, you look at Ford, General Motors, they are loss leaders, they are losing money now, but with production, cost, you could amortize cost, you could buy things in bulk. There are many reasons why eventually it will become profitable, which kind of like Tesla, it took them years to make a profit. I would also say Tesla's more an IT company and data collection company, but I digress. Companies like GM and Ford will eventually make a profit on those vehicles. But right now, the only way they can afford the EV experiments, or the, they're not experiments, they're, they're being produced right now, is because they have the gas Part of the company's making that's why gm is making trucks and just inv invested 938 about 950 million dollars in development and research and development for the v8 which is perhaps the best thing general motors has ever invented the v8 internal combustion engine pretty much the heart of america back in the day and still for many good cars but right now that's what the big profit generating part of the business for GM is. So it makes sense to reinvest in that for Ford to start reducing headcount. I know this is salaried workers. So one might argue, maybe they're just cutting, cutting the fat or just trimming the fat back. General Motors is doing the same thing. They offer contract buyouts, I believe Q1 as well as Q4. So Q1 2023 as well as Q4 2022, where they basically went to salaried workers. They said, Hey, we don't want to lay you off. We're, we're going to buy out your contract. We'll give you a bonus if you walk away. And that's one of the ways they've been trying to reduce costs as well. So it is an industry thing, but it's interesting that they are in particular starting to evaluate the folks in the most profitable part of the business. And these are right now, these are all third party or no one, no official Ford CEO, you know, Jim, Mr. Ford has actually announced this officially. These are all coming from interviews with folks lower on the totem pole and not publicly facing yet. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Disney firing their chief diversity officer, Latandra Newton. Now, she's been with the position since 2017, and she also came formerly from one of the most automotive co successful automotive companies on planet, Toyota. So she has a successful track record of that certain position, and she started working with Disney back in 2017. Now, interestingly enough, she's working with uh, multiple departments. So with a lot of these companies, I think we feel like on LinkedIn, the role isn't 
only for recruiting, but that's the big initiative you usually see when you talk to Fortune 500 companies and larger businesses is they have separate divisions or separate category of hiring managers to focus on the diversity, equity, inclusion, the DEI of the company. Now, I know equity is perhaps the most controversial since equality is beautiful, equity is by its very definition, I don't think it, it can't be fair because you're treating people differently based on factors they can't control. So that's, in my opinion, that's the, one of the most biggest controversial parts of that. Now, she joined in 2017, and from all reports, she was working not only with the hiring department, she's also working with different parts of the, of the company, including production studios, which may have been why you see more and more of their movies and their films having more and more diverse leads, as well as uh, they, them, uh, pronoun diversity. I I don't know if that's a separate theme or topic. It's part of that group, but that's why you're seeing more of that in their forerunners or their um, leads of the movies. Now, she's claiming that she wants to, quote, that she, quote, de decided to leave Walt Disney Company to pursue other endeavors, unquote. Which, I, I, I try not to laugh. I think you saw me laugh a little bit. I mean, there's some... Some saying that she's going to jo go join a board and focus on a company she owns, which with her track record, she probably will get a, bo a board position. That's a company. That's a great position to ever get in if you ever have the opportunity. You basically, you work with the company, make sure the CEO has what he needs to see to give him little tips and advice. And usually have a conference you meet quarterly. It's um, more of a passive role where you just kind of give input on how the company should go. Very much less, you know, day-to-day -day input. And with her track record of working at two largest, most successful companies, she probably will get one of those roles. But in the interim, you have Latondra's previous direct reports will report to Julie Mergers, which such a lost opportunity. She should be working in the um, acquisitions department to merge companies, but I digress. She is currently the SVP or Senior Vice President of Talent Acquisition. She will also run the DEI operations in the interim. And a lot of folks are starting to speculate why and why this is happening and the timing of it. Now, the timing is one of those instances where their past few movies have flopped and many speculate that one of the reasons these movies are flopping is because of the controversial casting that they've done. In particular, you look at Buzz Lightyear, which the company actually, for spite, um, inserted a, um, I forget what you call it, an LGBTQ, uh, a kiss with, um, I think it's two ladies or two guys. It was, it was a kiss, although, personally, what I found a little, um, what's a nice way of saying it, disgusting, is that they were two-faced about it. They didn't do that in Saudi Arabia. So Disney was fine making the profit selling the movie without that kiss in Saudi Arabia, but they inserted it in the production of the United States. So to me, that's one of the things where I don't know how authentic they really are, or I question their authenticity and their stance on a lot of these issues or a lot of these um, ideals, because they're intentionally self-censoring their movies to maximize profits in other countries that do not tolerate those behaviors or embrace those behaviors. So that's why I'm always skeptical. If they, if they really if they really believed beyond a reasonable doubt that they, that's what the company stands for, that's what they want to have in their production, and their multi-billion dollar company, they should have the balls or the galls or whatever you want to say it, the um, stones, the tolmerity, Tell Saudi Arabia, no, we're, we are not going to release the movie in your country unless we release the original content of it. Now, it was partially due also to with the controversy of Florida versus Disney where they're suing each other. So they took it out and then just, they actually said for spite just around DeSantis, they put it back in. Well, so again, I'm also wondering like, 
Are you doing it for spite? Because you really believe in it. So, and that's just that one movie. That was Lightyear. You also have Little Mermaid, where they intentionally swapped the main actress's role from the original one was Caucasian. Now the newer one is African American. Although oddly enough, the it was still orange or red hair. I don't watch these things. I've seen previous, but they also butchered the music in the movie, changed the music. They even changed the themes of the of the movie, so that. It, they removed a lot of the morals in the movie where I believe one in which they were going to have an issue where I forget what you call the husband of the movie, the prince. He was what he saved the day in the original mermaid so that the king who didn't approve of the fish human relationship or whatever, he would see the human save the day. Go, and the moral was, oh, not all humans are bad tolerance. So the original movie had had a good message in and of itself, but then they changed it so that now Ariel, she, she's just the, Queen bee, or I guess queen fish. It might be a metaphor there somewhere, deep down under the sea, pun moderately intended. Now she just, um, she's the hero the whole time. So, so they're changing many things in these films and a lot of the traditionalists or the people who grew up enjoying these films, they're not appreciating that. And then you also had Elemento, another movie that uh, they debuted, they had a uh, they, them uh, pronoun as the main person of the movie. I don't know what you call it, the I don't know. They're all cartoons. is an anime thing. But that is another movie where they will not break even. They're going to lose money. Again, most film analysts will tell you they you make a box office, or 70% of your total box office in the first one or two weeks. And these movies aren't even hitting the budget. And again, on top of the, on the, top of the budget for the movie, you have to pay for the advertising, which usually about 2x in kind of the traditional film industry. So needless to say, there's a lot of things going downhill at Disney. I don't suspect they're going to remove the role entirely. They might emphasize it a little less going forward. Try to appease the shareholders a little bit. Try to they need to they need to have start having some movies that really knock it out of the park because again, they have a big bank vault of intellectual property and cash, so they're not going to go out of business tomorrow. But I mean, the past two years, fifty percent of their stock gone. Just all that stock evaluation mysteriously disappeared. And again, you're a publicly traded company. You want their stock to grow as high as possible. So eventually you can get a great return on investment. You sell all your stock, yada, yada, yada. So I suspect maybe they'll try to get a couple more movies that really knock it out of the park and perhaps focus less on political initiatives. But time shall tell. Other interesting cultural news, you have Bud Light breaking the silence and going out on Twitter with more advertisements and immediately again getting ratioed, as the youth might say. The fascinating phenomenon in which the people responding to the original post are having more positive likes, retweets, comments than the original post. Mm -hmm. And they've come out with a couple hilariously bad, but not in a good way, commercials. So for about 70 days, they've said nothing on Twitter, which in social media, that's years. It's unheard of. So it seems to be that they're pivoting their strategy. Now they're going to go to the Activision Call of Duty business model where they're just pumping out as much content as possible to try to go up against all the people, seemingly a majority of the audience who are mocking them because they feel like they've been betrayed. Because again, Bud Light tried They hired a brand ambassador who, whose main audience are 15-year-old children. Not a prudent business decision in my opinion. Now, their stock went down another 3% last week after a couple of these commercials came out. Now, 
The first one is a just a couple seconds. I won't uh, burn your eyes with the disgust of this commercial, but I'll give you a quick summary. It has a girl throwing a bag of ice onto the ground, and like the meme that again Bud Light made was, you know, your laptop at at 5 p.m. on a Friday, you know, throw it away, like you're done with work, which says something about the culture of America when people are so quickly, they're so quick to, you know, get off the clock. They got to stop working. Oh, it's 4:58 on a Friday. Got to stop. It's I always tell people, you don't change the world working 40 hours a week. And it's also one of those things where I don't believe you're done until a task is done. You gotta hustle, in my opinion. So that's the first issue I have with the advertisement, personally. But they had that girl throw the ice down. So they have a, they got 400,000 views and 520 likes. So math is fun. I did a little math. That means 0.13% of people who saw it liked it. However, even more satisfying and entertaining, someone all took that video that they made and did the Photoshop or the, the technology in which instead of the girl having the bag of ice that said laptop at 5 p.m., they changed that to Bud Light, and then the girl's name was Consumers, and they threw down the Bud Light, which it broke hilariously. Now, that little parody got 3,831 likes. So, what's that? 5, 10, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, about good old math. That's about six times the number of likes. And those number of likes, that was about 3,831 likes on only 85,000 views. And again, this is both the reporting of 12 hours of the video being um, released. And so if you look at the percentage of who liked, who viewed the video versus who liked the video, the person who made the video of the the consumer throwing down the Bud Light, 4.51% of people who viewed that video liked it. That's 4.51% contrasted with the 0.13% of people who liked the original video advertisement by Bud Light. Needless to say, they have gotten completely ratioed. And also, I scrolled through the comments of that video. They're hilariously entertaining. There's only There might be one or two they actually liked, they had a positive comment about Bud Light and the advertisement. Every other comment was either a meme ridiculing Bud Light or a text saying, we still remember who you are or something pejorative about the spokesperson that they hired or the former VP of marketing who's still just unpaid, I don't know if they're unpaid, unpaid leave, so they suddenly fired them. And one of the most, a lot of the most popular comments are saying like, you still haven't resolved the issue or even said you're sorry, which again is what I reported last time. So I'm not too surprised, but needless to say, they, they were ratioed once, they will be ratioed again. Other interesting cultural news, you have Bud Light again, putting out an advertisement on Twitter and immediately getting ratioed three times in a row. Most people say third time is a charm. In this case, I don't know, three bottles of piss water is bad. There's a good metaphor in there. I don't, have, I don't have writers. I do this all myself, clearly. Now, this is a advertisement that they put on uh, Twitter, and Bud Light had two women carrying a keg, which, again, is unrealistic and ridiculous. They're carrying it down a street. Now, it's as dumb as it sounds. Well, no, I, I digress. It's, I don't digress. I proceed forward. It's dumber than it sounds. So you have... I don't know if they're an interracial couple, but it's a white gal, an African-American woman, and they're carrying a keg on rocks. 
with no shoes. That's perhaps one-tenth of the pain you would feel if you were a step on Legos. It's that bad. It's, so these ladies are carrying a keg, which they're not bodybuilders. I don't think they have the physical fortitude or capability to do that. A keg is quite heavy when filled, even if it's Bud Light and it's light. Well, there's some joke. There's probably some joke about it being too light to weigh anything. Time shall tell if we get any laughs from this. Let me know in the comments. But these two gals were carrying the Bud Light on a, without shoes on rocks. And even more ridiculous, they have, maybe it's maybe it a cliche, but they had an average Bud Light drinker in the background or a previous Bud Light drinker. And it was a white guy with a big beer belly. And he was just standing, like, leaning against a building. And he didn't do anything. So... That's perhaps the most unrealistic advertisement I've ever seen in my life. And hilariously enough, none of these ads actually show them drinking the product. Perhaps for health, it might be for health purposes. They don't want people dying on set or, you know, suff not suffocating, destroying taste buds. Like, I don't know how good of an ad it would be to go, but I digress. So if these ridiculous ads, and of course it's going to get immediately ratioed beyond all belief. Now, that video within about 12 hours being released had 134,000 views and 209 likes. That's it. 209 likes on 134,000 views. I wish every view was a dollar. I'd be, I can get, shoot, I can get a teleprompter with that kind of cash. <laughs> right now, I just use monitors, but they're static. I digress. Now, the most entertaining responses to that were the hidden responses, where most of them are too vulgar for me to actually share on YouTube. Another reason I'll start posting these on Rumble. But the response that was copy and pasted like 25 times was the meme in which you had a young gentleman standing over a grave with a little peace sign. Someone did a little Photoshop where it was Alyssa Hydrashild, the still the current uh, VP of marketing who said the, the brand was fratty. Um, she was also drinking beer off a condom in college, and she was the one who brilliantly thought of the idea to hire Dylan Mulvaney as a brand ambassador. She will be remembered. So you have a picture of her face poorly, hilariously photoshopped, and this guy doing a peace sign above a grave, and the gravestone was Anheuser-Busch, and it said, you know, the date, their inception date since this year. And there weren't just two of those. There weren't, there weren't three people that posted that image. There's about 20 to 30 people posting it. And that, when you go, if you go to the hidden responses, the first, like, walls of scrolls are all that image. And he also says something about Bud Light. They still haven't fired her. Still. This is the worst brand business blunder in history. Nothing's been this bad before. New Coke. Some would say it made them stronger because they had the new product. Within a month, they released the classic Coke. And now, to this day, every Coca-Cola you see at the store is a classic Coke. And they actually surpassed Pepsi, I believe, with that initiative. Or they did even better. And of course, Coke is still around to this day. It's still a staple of many people's diets, which, not a good thing. But that was a big business blunder at the time. Nothing has been this bad. And yet they still won't fire her. Still. And they still won't address the issue. So it'll be interesting. It might be a battle of wills. How many people have time to respond to each one of their Bud Light advertisements they put on Twitter? Versus how much content can Bud Light spew out, like the like a piss beer coming out of a bottle or something, something like that. It's going to be 
a war of the minds. They're also starting to ban people in the comments. So even if it's not too pejorative, you're seeing people having their comments deleted on Twitter and they respond to these videos that they're putting out. And I wonder how many videos it will take or how long it'll take, or if ever people will start, you'll start to see some positive comments about the product. I saw one and I scrolled through the comments for about three to four minutes. So I saw probably about a hundred comments. There's one person who said like they just applied to a job there and they wanted like, they wanted, they were asking for help to get connected to the hiring manager, something like that. Every other comment literally was talking smack about Bud Light and their business blunder and how they still haven't fired her. I mean, this is the business blunder of the century. I should probably maybe mail them a little trophy or something. But again, in terms of the cultural phenomenon of this particular boycott, which historically is unprecedented, it's interesting to see there's still momentum and their sales are, their sales are still decreasing. People thought they bottomed out, they haven't. And from a business perspective and cultural perspective, that is fascinating. Well, we'll see how bad it really can get. I, I suspect you have the 4th of July coming around the corner, which some Americans still, like myself, still probably celebrate. That's gonna be a big ding in their sales. They're, they're coming out with these programs saying, oh yeah, we're gonna give away $10,000 a week to fans. We're gonna have multiple opportunities to win it. Sometimes you can't just throw money at a problem to make it go away. It almost reminds you of like a sh crappy relationship where someone wants to buy, they made a mistake. Instead of apologizing, they just get, apologizing, they just give their spouse like a, a shiny diamond. You can't buy someone's love. You can't buy someone's loyalty. It's insulting, I would say, to do that. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40-year hyperinflation has gotten out of hand, unfortunately. Now, other interesting culture news, you have the NHL canceling their pride jerseys. Will this affect their sales. We'll see. Now, this is the first time in my life I've actually seen businesses move away during Pride Month from Pride merchandise and organizations. I mean, it really seemed to really gain momentum maybe in the late 90s, early 2000s. And ever since then, it's just been exponentially increasing with the number of businesses adopting it, the more number of businesses, in my opinion, some of these businesses in authentically using it as an advertising mechanism some I, are authentic and they are wholeheartedly part of the organization. And I think every business, that's your, light, that's your right to decide you know, what you're for or against. But in my opinion, have it be an authentic position you take. And this is the first time businesses are starting to move away from it, which from a cultural perspective, that's unprecedented. It'll be fascinating to see how long that trend goes and does it continue into next year with um, the Pride Month or Pride, yeah, Pride Month next year but there's also probably events throughout the year. Will those also be affected? Now, the NHL announced that they will not wear the Pride uniform in warmups during next, next season. Now, that being said, there's plenty of time for them to reverse their decision. We, we saw this famously, or I guess not too famously, with the LA Dodgers, where they invited the Sisters of, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which is a offensive parody of uh, Catholic and Christian Catholicism beliefs. They originally invited them, then folks with original religious faith appropriately protested saying they're mocking our religion quite literally, using the cross as a, a stripper pole. And the baseball team originally said, hey, this is clearly offending you know, religious people. We're, gonna, we're not gonna allow them to come on prem or come to the event. But of course they acquiesced to the community of the, I don't know what community, the, the sisterhood community, 
they, the baseball team have actually said, oh yeah, you come on site and we don't care about people, the religious faith. As long as it's Christian or Catholic, that's fine, you can mock them. Ironically, these are the people who say they want equality for all, but clearly not in my opinion for that specific example right there. And I mentioned that because the NHL tomorrow could reverse this. Now, this came more to the cultural forefront when in January you had a player called Ivan Provolov, uh, and he refused to wear his team's pride jersey, and he cited, I believe at the time, religious reasonings. And kind of makes sense. I mean, his name, I'm going to guess it's Russian, or in another country where religion is much more prevalent, I wish the United States would increase their religious affiliations as well. Time shall tell to see if that's a thing. Now, of course, he was immediately ostracized from society. Everyone, crit everyone criticized him. But to his credit, he actually stood by his convictions, which these days is exceedingly rare. Now, you have teams, and most likely they're going to have... They, they also know that the teams will most likely have nights in which they're honoring groups of people. So they'll still have rainbow jerseys available for fans and players if they want them. This is specific for the warm-up session. Now, the official reason that the NHL and the representatives gave for the cancellation of the jerseys was they were a distraction, which that seems... It is a distraction to have bright colors on a uniform when you're going so fast, maybe. But I don't suspect that's the real reason that they canceled this initiative. It seems more and more as society goes on, almost life is like a parody of the Seinfeld world where... Yeah, Kramer and Kramer want to do a, the AIDS walk to raise money for the AIDS uh, organization. And everyone on the AIDS walk carried a pin, and his little AIDS pin, to show that you were part of the group. And Kramer was like, no, I, I want the pin. I, I'm raising money, I'm walking, I'm raising money for, the, for this, but I, I don't want to wear the pin. And everyone in the organization just bullied him, impetuated him, and eventually actually assaulted him so that he would wear that little pin. And I think there's a lot of people out there where they have a lot of their faith, they have a lot of their, their beliefs, and they do raise money and they do certain things, but they don't want it to be a lapel pin and they don't want to ha advertise it. Now, from a cultural perspective, is this going to hurt or help the NHLs? Traditionally, NHL has been much more masculine. You have fights going back and forth. It was more more of a niche sport. It wasn't, you know, prime time. Everyone, it's not like the, the pigskin where people throw around the football and people worship it like it's a religion. It was more of a niche. When you saw this transition, pun moderately tended, where they want to make it more family-friendly, decrease the fights, and make it more mainstream, so of course you can get more eyeballs on the TV, which you can tell advertisers, make more money. It'll be interesting to see if maybe they're trying to push back and make it more of that niche again. So in the short term, I think this might actually decrease their sales. Let me know in the comments if you think this ban is going to decrease their sales or increase their sales. Are they appealing to their current and their past customer base? Or is the new customer base going to be so outraged or that they're actually going to cancel their season tickets, not buy any more merchandise? We'll see. Now, going on to the political part of the podcast, you have Hunter Biden having a tentative plea deal for guilty with no jail time which is unprecedented. He has to be the luckiest son of a bitch on the planet. He's also a millionaire, somehow. And I say that because of some of these allegations. Now, he has two counts of failure to pay income tax, and he owes $1.2 million. How a crackhead is making so much money is beyond me. That 
I can't fathom how he's, how do you think he's making money? Now, if he owes $1.2 million to the IRS, that means he's probably making about double that since federal income tax, once you reach a certain tax bracket, they steal, I mean, take about 50% of your income, which means he's a multimillionaire. I don't even know if he has a day job. So that's interesting. Now, the other charge was a firearm offense, which is so, so ironic, given how anti-gun his dad is, where they want to ban guns because they're black. They want to get rid of the AR-15, which is mechanically the same thing that we've had over 100 years. It's semi-automatic. One trigger pull, one bullet. 100 years. But now we got to get rid of it. Now... When it comes to the firearm sense, he has one count of an unlawful possession of a firearm by a person who is unlawfully, who is an unlawful user of an addicted or a controlled substance. Now, he's I'm trying to think of a way of saying moronic. Stupid is too simple of a word. Dumbo oh, is always a good word. I should really download a thesaurus one of these days. He's so so uneducated oh no well, he, he probably went to a good school he's so out of touch with the reality he thinks he's such he, he thinks he's so untouchable which i guess he kind of is he actually wrote an autobiography in which he admitted to using crack while purchasing a firearm now lying on a 4473 i don't know why they called it a 4471 unless they changed the form number Nevertheless, it's like a job application to buy a gun. You fill out all your information. You say you are not a criminal. You're not illegal alien. Not using any. You're not using or abusing any illicit substances. So you lied on that form. Doing that would get most people thrown in jail. And I'm not being hyperbolic. It, that's the standard. The standard case is you get thrown in jail for that. You're lying on a federal document. And yet, he's going to get off Scott Street. He also had his girlfriend, or he didn't tell her to, but his girlfriend threw the gun away in a trash bin across the street from a school. Now, the Secret Service went into the gun store after he did the paperwork, and allegedly, they tried to get the paperwork back. I suspect because the Secret Service knew he was breaking the law with that paperwork, and they want a paper trail. Interestingly enough, later, the Secret Service had no record of going into that gun store or doing anything of that way. The gun owner remembered differently, and thankfully, at the time, he didn't acquiesce and give away the federal paperwork to the Secret Service at the time. He later handed it over to the government when they're looking for evidence, and I'm sure he kept copies, thankfully. So, instead of having any real world ramifications, Biden is going to get a diversion program, which is as BS as it, it is exactly what you think it is. It's a BS slap on the wrist. It's basically soft probation instead of a jail. And at the end, his record is expunged or it's basically wiped clean. So he broke laws that would get people thrown in jail for years. And basically it's all scot-free. He was actually whining and dining with the DOJ. I think it was, I believe it was Merrick Garland at a party days before. Same with Biden's brother, who was also under investigation. They were at a party with a guy who's supposed to be investigating them. Does that, in any way, does that, does that at any, in any way sound fair, equal, or irrational? I can't fathom the Trump family trying to get away with a tenth of this. Now, it, clearly the Department of Justice is taking it easy on him, hitting him with some minor infractions, maybe, and again, this is a pessimist in me, in order to avoid diving deeper into his more damning crimes, such as the Ukraine gas company Burisma giving him 
I believe $75,000 a month to be on the board of directors, a gas company in the Ukraine, where, again, Hunter Biden's background is drugs, and I don't know how that equates, why should be on a board director for a gas company? Now, granted, the, perhaps the best return on investment in history was paying him about 75 grand a month for, I think it's 14 months, and now the U.S. government has given Ukraine about $115 billion. That's the best ROI in history, as far as I could possibly comprehend or tell. And it's just, what little faith people had in the government is wiping away to basically nothing. I mean, I can't comprehend seeing this and thinking that justice was served or he was treated equal as the average person would be. Because again, the average person, if they have a piece of plastic known as a AR-15 pistol brace, which they purchased legally, the ATF decided to write their own law, which they're not supposed to do, they're not legally supposed to do, that's what the government is for, but they decided to reinterpret the law. If you have that and you did not register the gun as a short-barreled rifle, you'll be thrown in prison for 10 years and face a fine of $250,000. If you have a piece of plastic that looks like a stock. $250,000 and 10 years in prison. That's what the average American would get. That's what they will get. They also become a felon. They cannot vote ever again. And yet... Yeah, Hunter Biden doing much worse things, lying on a federal document that 4473, and basically no ramifications. When again, the average person would be thrown in jail. And more and more, I think people are starting to see the, def the difference between people who are politically connected and people who are not. Time shall tell to see maybe people vote third party. I, I don't know what happens at this point or not. It'll be interesting to see. Now, other interesting political news. Yeah, the U.S. Navy apparently knew that the submarine imploded a week prior to telling the public. Now, this is a report that showed that the U.S. Navy knew that the Titan implosion last Sunday, but the government and the Bidenmans only released the news on Thursday. So about a week difference. Coincidentally, during that week, that was when Hunter was working out his plea deal and the whistleblower reports were being released with collaboration that he was getting slapped on the wrist as opposed to actual justice. Thursday was also when the parts of the submarine were discovered. Now, the Navy didn't say the specific name of the system they used to detect the implosion, probably because it costs more money than a Ferrari and it's classified military technology. Understandable. They don't want to tell us the actual name of the, the technology. But the U.S. Navy did admit that they, con quote, the U.S. Navy conducted an analysis of the, of the acoustic data and detected an anomaly consistent with an implosion or explosion in the general vicinity of where the Titan submersible was operating when communications were lost, unquote. Which, again, it's not like there's 12 submersibles down there or submarines down there. If you hear a sound, that's what it was. Now, they further went on to say that, while not definitive, this information was immediately shared with the incident commander to assist with the ongoing search and rescue mission. So the data was immediately transmitted to the other parties, but just not to the general public. Now, there are allegations that some of the news outlets knew this as well, and they said nothing. Now, some are saying for the conspiracy that, or not conspiracy, it, I don't know if we have any solid facts, but it seems logical that this perhaps was done as a diversion to make sure people didn't pay attention to Hunter Biden getting a slap on the wrist. But even if they didn't do that, maybe it was just so that selfishly those news sites can get more clicks, likes, and shares, and subscribers, and comments, and eyes, eyeballs glued to the screens on their phones for their websites. That perhaps might be another reason why the news outlets really didn't share that data. Now, 
news outlets also had communications with James Cameron, who is famously the director of the Smurf movie with the Smurfs. Avatar? I think is what it's called. The Smurf movie. And Titanic. And Terminator. Lots of movies. Now, James Cameron is a diving enthusiast. He's actually gone down and he's dove to the Titanic 33 times, which is probably a record. And he also holds an official record for the deepest dive at 35,787 feet over there on the Mariana Trench. Now, James Cameron also had communications on that Sunday, so immediately after the incident, which communications was lost with the submersible, the submarine, and he's talking with a bunch of the diving enthusiasts, and they all concluded, and especially he, with all data that they had, that they knew the sub was gone. Now, he attributed a few things, or a couple of things, not only the communications, but talking, but also telemetry data. A lot of the data capture devices all simultaneously just stopped at once, which one of those things where Occam's razor, the simplest solution is most likely is usually the most likely one. Okay, if you have, perhaps a good analogy would be you have your cell phone, your laptop, and your house phone, which for people under 50 might not know. Well, there used to be a phone just for your house, where you telephone poles and everything. Fascinating technology. Good old Alexander Graham Bell, but I digress. Imagine having all those threes fail at once. So you have the cell phone stop working, you had the house phone stop working. Let's say you had the TV stop working with the cable or something. If all of those three things fail at once, most likely the house does not exist. It's been wiped off the block somehow. And yet, we're the U.S. public didn't realize it for about five days later. So the pessimist in me is probably leaning towards the side of it was used as an advantageous event to distract the public. Although... That being said, it's not like the public's going to do anything. People might get angry and they'll tweet something and they'll say, oh, this, this is unfair. Well, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know what, the, I don't know what to tell you. Vote, vote third party, vote, diff, I don't know. Time shall tell to see if anyone has, any faith increases in the justice system. I'm a little more pessimistic these days than usual. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have Honda recalling 1.2 million vehicles. Now, this recall is due to an issue with the backup camera, and the rear camera may not have the image appear on the dashboard screen. Now, this recall affects the Odyssey minivan made from 2018 to 2023, as well as the Honda Pilot from 2019-2022, as well as the Honda Passport 2019-2023, which are probably the worst models to have, to have this issue since they're basically a block of wood on wheels. I mean, you can't see behind the back of one of those giant minivans, which... One of my friends actually got one, and he told me the cost, and I was astonished. I'm like, you could have got a Corvette with a stick shift, but a little bit harder to fit kids in that unless you, I guess you put the back seat in a little trunk, frunk. No, no, it's not the frunk. It's the trunk thing. Kind of. You can make it work. But, yeah, the amount of technology and the amount of luxury that's put into a minivan is astonishing to me. I was pretty damn shocked. Now, there is a simple resolution where if the dealerships will replace the cable harness as well as the, install a straightening cover and of course, no cost to the owners with the official recall letter going out July 24th. Now, this is particularly bad because those are the most, on average, SUVs, minivans, trucks, those are the most profitable parts of an automotive business. You usually lose money on subcompact vehicles because they're a lower price point, they're more economical to begin with. Famously, GM would lose money on, I believe, 
I believe dealerships lost $472 or $480 on every Chevy Cruze they sold, which is a Chevy-made uh, subcompact combat vehicle. The only way they made money on it was with good old-fashioned dealership financing and accessories and all those types of things that they throw on top of the vehicle. But a lot of those vehicles are built to a price point, and that's why there's not a lot of profit. Their van, I can only assume the Honda minivan that costs, you know, 50 to 60 grand or plus with all the DVD, Blu-ray, and banana players to handle those things. That's some of the most profitable part of your business. And as these companies are trying to transition to EV vehicles, they're bleeding money for several years as they ramp up those segments of the business. They start to understand the research and development. They can also take that research cost and you could divide it on the main vehicles. They need to make as much profit as possible from the traditional legacy internal combustion engines, especially with these SUVs and minivans. And they have a recall, even as simple as this, where, I mean, emotional rhetoric with this alone, you have parents thinking, what well, Bobby or Timmy is kept running across the driveway to get a ball and the van doesn't see it. Those vehicles are especially charged for emotional rhetoric because they're family vehicles. So to have any type of issues with reliability or a recall on some of your most profitable products, I mean, that's gotta be the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in. Cannot thank you enough. I really appreciate it if you take the time to like, subscribe, and comment. Each one of those things greatly helps out the channel. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your coworkers, tell your enemies, heck, tell your friends, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.